The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. Emabella, this has obviously not always been the case. Like, insulin has not always been this expensive. Like, why is it now as expensive as it is? And why has there been such a large percentage increase over recent decades? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So we saw the rise about in 2012. It's always been rising, but but that's where you see the big gap start to form. And so what happens is there's these three big pharmaceutical manufacturers here in our country that produce the largest amounts of insulin that we we receive um, and what we use day to day. And so what we started to see was they would raise their price and then the other one would match the price. And so because of the lack of regulations, um, truly they wrote, continue to you know upmark the price of insulin for greed. And what we see here is that they can do this because first of all, the lack of regulations, but the other piece of it is they do this because they know people here in this country have to pay it. It's not a choice of, okay, well, do I need to, you know, purchase uh, like any other medical equipment or medical device, anything that you may not need to survive, mm-hmm. like, uh, like maybe an ankle brace, maybe your ankles, injured from you know twisting it maybe maybe you can choose i don't know to have have this or not have this it it's just not a choice here right it's uh getting advil tylenol it's these small choices right um these manufacturers can choose to raise this because they know that they need we need this to survive and so fortunately enough we've seen a lot more press garner around it we've seen you know states take a lot of a lot of legislative action and that's been quicker so we've been able to cap a lot of insulin prices for those that are insured but at the same time they've continued to raise it and um actually in may of this year we had the um uh, the manufacturer CEOs, and then also PBMs, the pharmaceutical benefit managers, which are another um, piece of this puzzle as well, um, come in and come to the Senate um, to testify in a committee hearing. And they talked about this and they talked about how they explain that the price of insulin is so high so that they can use the profit to fund their other medical research and medical um, advancements. And so that's also another piece of this. <laughs> is what they um, explain to be the high cost of insulin. Obviously that's not right, but that is what they show is their reasoning to do so. Mm. But that's very tough, <laughs> tough to hear, not 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 right and ethical in any 
point of view. And uh, we as advocates have worked a lot to tone that down and show the truth that that's not that's not accurate, um, especially when we're seeing what the other um, profit is being used for or what the CEO takes in every year, uh, for instance. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty clear that these companies aren't exactly struggling companies. They're making hundreds of millions of profits annually. Mm. And I think something that stood out to me the most and something that I was aware of to an extent, but not to this extent, and you had mentioned it in one of the talks that you gave, it was pharma companies spent $353.94 million in a single calendar year on government lobbying. It's, um, that isn't, that's criminal. It's, like it's, It is. It really, it truly is. And when we think back to what we spend day to day on insulin and what we give up to afford insulin day to day, and then you look at a number like that, it, it it's just, there's no words. There's no words to something like that. When, you know, we know here, you know, here in DC that, lobbyists, you know, go and put their issues above ours, you know, because there is that spending, because there's that campaign funding, it's legal to donate to campaigns. Um, and, and that's just another <laughs> piece of the puzzle as well. Um, I had a personal experience, I mean, uh, very, very close um, back in Florida when I was living in Tallahassee while I was completing my undergrad was we were um, really very intensely advocating for um, a copay cap. Um, and it was not being heard by this emergency room doctor who was also serving as the, the co-chair uh, or the chair of the committee. Um, and he refused to hear the bill. I was like, this is absurd. He's an emergency room doctor. He should know better. Um, but it was surely he's on our side. I would right. imagine that's the type of thing you're thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was receiving funding from a pharmaceutical company or he was in his last term and was moving on to a, a pharmaceutical company as what I had read somewhere. I was like, wow, like, this is wow. crazy. Wow. You know, and he worked so hard. We had a really strong team behind us. And just because someone chose to take money and take that, that lobbying, um, technique it, it worked on him and we weren't we weren't heard and we still haven't been successful in florida on passing a copay cap and so there are oh. those lobbyists yes there are those lobbyist techniques that that do work and are hurting us um it's it's just devastating it really is so there's people so essentially there are people on the ground let's put it that way people on the ground in the healthcare system getting money to support this type of let's call it a cause, even though it's not a cause. Right. So you have, yeah, you have the pharmaceutical companies, you have people in healthcare who, you know, want their, uh, their revenues, their, their change in their pocket protected. So they march up to Capitol Hill and use their, use their money, use their, um, their authority to make sure bills don't pass so that we get more affordable healthcare. And it happens every day. It happens Oh, so often it goes to, you know, their campaign funds that continue to support. It's just so deeply rooted and, you know, our, our government and our system, and it, it, it isn't for the people, <laughs> you know, what this country was built upon and the, their, 
our mission, you know, to support everyone, to represent everyone, it's not happening. And it, it, it is largely because of lobbying, um, mm. unfortunately. And this isn't the case of it's it not having an impact. This is the type of thing that is is having an impact on a daily basis. And like, mm -hmm. do you have any idea, Amabella, the amount of people over even the last few decades that would have died from rationing insulin? Because that that's how serious yeah. it is. Yeah, it is. There, when you think about one in four people rationing, I mean, mm -hmm. it is uh, rationing on a and what that does to a type one's body is just, um, you know, it, it's it's awful. It's terrible, and we, you know often don't have that choice, right? I mean, there aren't specific statistics out there just because, you know, when they're being, being from a public health background and being in school for public health, there are um, skewed statistics, I would say. Um, it's hard mm. to get those exact reportings when uh, they're not being documented correctly, like within the system. And so I think that makes it a lot more difficult. It's definitely something I've seen be a, um, a weakness for us like while we're advocating is because sometimes we don't have those specific numbers of people who have passed away we have those stories of you know these these terrible you know just unimaginable stories of when that does happen but it's not reported as well we uh, and that is a struggle I, I think it's just some disconnections in the system and so i'm hoping though we can you know get more about how many intakes we see because of dk and was was that intake of DK because was it because of a sickness? Was it because of a, you know, a rationing insulin? I think that would be some amazing steps forward that we could take, but yeah, the data can be definitely hard to find. Yeah. And it's there, there's a client that I work with who is type one diabetic herself and her brother was type one diabetic, Nick, mm -hmm. and he, he died from DKA because mm -hmm. he himself, and he was 26, I believe he yeah. was, he was, he didn't have insurance. He was rationing his insulin and even though he had been rationing for whether it be a few days or a few weeks, he was right. also reluctant to go to the hospital because he knew that he would have like an astronomical medical bill on the other side yeah. of it. And as yeah. a result, he, he, he died like unbelievable. Yeah. unbelievable. It, is. it really is. And that, yeah. And that's the other, you know, part in this as well is that we do have these systems that can step in to, to, to help. Right. When you're in those, you know, devastating situations when you do, you know, when we're in DKA, I mean, you need to be, you know, being taken care of in a hospital. It, it is a dire situation. However, mm. yeah, people make those decisions of, yeah, I don't want to place this burden on myself. I don't want to place this burden on my family. Like, I'm going to stick it out. And um, oftentimes that, that can be the result. Um, and it's, it's just awful. It's awful that we have to even think about that. <laughs> like you mm. said, in other countries, that's just not even imaginable. It's, it's a, it's a human rights situation where we should be able to get the healthcare we need. Um, but it's just not happening here. Um, and so it is really tough, especially when money is placed over, you know, the rights and the, the health of so many people here in this country. Um, mm. it's just awful. <laughs> it's mm. terrible. What sort of response have you gotten up to this point from government officials, Amabella. You've obviously you've met with President Biden, I believe, Kamala mm -hmm. Harris. You've done work inside the White House. Like, what's the typical type of response that you have seen or heard from the advocacy up to this point? Like, how was it received? So, in the beginning, I mean, we've seen this, you know, this topic get a lot more um, be in the limelight or just be the 
um, just the the poster child of what healthcare, the reality of healthcare is in this country. And so I would say I've seen a really large transition where you'd see many people be a little bit more uneducated about the situation, um, but transition now into a, yes, like we need to do more. Yes, I agree. There's so much more we could be doing. Um, however, uh, as much as those words matter, there's been a lot of, what would I say? Um, the transition from, you know, agreeing with the subject matter to actually like taking action. Um, mm. There's sometimes is a gap, right? Um, which can be frustrating, right? Um, when you speak to people and they acknowledge the issue or, you know, they work really hard to get there. And then there's a lot of, there's a lot of situations and different reactions I would see. I guess it just depends on who we're talking about. <laughs> but I think, yeah, just, I mean, there was a congressperson I spoke to within this last year who agreed that they were going to do everything they could and then voted against. Them. So what? it's tough. It's really tough. Um, you think name you're, them. name. Yeah. Them. <laughs> well, I, I, it's tough because name I'm them. trying to maintain this. It's, it's a very delicate know, balance I'm trying to hold. Right. Is that mm. there's this also, which I will name as well. There is a huge political divide as in parties. And I've seen that a huge issue. Okay. Uh, and what I'm experiencing is that I think this, I think like the summary of this situation is that people agree that they're going to help and that they are on my side. And then when it comes to a political party, they choose their political party over someone like me living with type one diabetes or the type one community, my ourselves, right? So you have these relationships with these people who have done everything they've done in the past correctly. But then when it comes to a political party, as divided as our country is now, it's become a large issue. Um, and mm -hmm. so I, I've seen that be very, frustrating um, but oftentimes we just follow up and we're like hey listen like what happened here like what can we do to kind of bridge this gap um and it comes down to a political issue uh, of a, a, a party um which is which is tough it's mm. really tough but then they're like oh no we have a better bill like we'll make sure we vote on this so mm. Hard. It's hard. Convenient. It's hard. Yeah, it's mm. very hard. Um, and so that's where I'm trying to find that balance is of, okay, you're telling me you're going to support me and support the cause. So where can we meet in the middle? How can we get this bipartisan support? Because the bipartisan support can be very tough <laughs> these mm. days. So yeah, definitely a, a delicate line I'm trying to balance um, mm. and trying to bridge the gap between that. Because I was able to, I was able to do it in the Florida state senate and house but um still there's that unwillingness to actually get it on the floor to have those bipartisan you know um, sponsors which is amazing and so great but then will it actually get to the floor is the other is the other mm. side of the situation i would imagine there's a, a lot of turning wheels that you don't see that are dictating and influencing people's direction towards making a decision which is as you say yes. frustrating to say the very least so frustrating. So mm -hmm. ad yeah, advocacy is just, yeah, it's, you get these amazing wins and incredible just steps towards the right direction. But at the same time, um, a lot of it on the other side of it, while it can be very exciting and amazing, it, it can also be frustrating and be tough to keep moving forward when you're putting so much effort towards something and continues to fail, but it's just picking yourself back up again and remembering that like we're doing this because 
we have to, we need to. And there are so many people out there in this country that are suffering with the same thing. Right. And so, um, it can be, it can be tough, but it's, mm. it's very, very well worth it. Mm. Of course. Speaking of bridging the gap and like, it, it sounds as though it is almost inevitably an uphill battle and it has been, and probably will be for a certain amount of time. Like what can normal people do? What can an everyday person who has diabetes, who who doesn't mm-hmm. have diabetes, somebody who just cares about this type of cause, like, is there anything that they can do to help push this thing forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important um, that all, just to get educated, right? I mean, even just listening to this podcast and just getting a grasp of, you know, what is happening, people living with type 1 diabetes or people who are just, you know, interested in type 1 diabetes or this overall, you know, prescription drug crisis and issue we have going on in this country. I think Obviously, that is just the first step forward. Um, I really see power and impact um, by just educating yourself and then also stepping forward and educating others, whether it's in your personal conversation, whether you're sitting in your, um, you know, your professor's, you know, classroom and you're having a conversation about what what's next for, you know, um, prescriptive drug prices in this country. I think that's where a lot of that good dialect happens and where you can educate others. I think that's extremely important. Um, another piece of that is also just getting plugged in to local organizations. T1 International, um, who I work very closely with, um, does a lot of advocacy um, within states. Um, and so whatever state you're from, if you're from the U.S. and also globally, um, T1 International has a lot of global chapters as well. You can get involved by um, reaching out to them via email, following them on Instagram, any of the, the other social medias, and they are would be more happy and willing to, you know, get you plugged in. You definitely don't have to take on any leadership roles, but just being, you know, there for the cause and showing your support is very important. And if you don't live with type one diabetes as well, just showing, you know, people that have type one diabetes, um, you know, that you care, support and love them as well. I, it's a, as we were talking about earlier, um, living with type one diabetes is very tough. And, you know, it's great to know that you have a supportive community around you. Um, which I think is really important. As far as other political advocacy, um, writing to your representatives, your congresspeople, your senators is vital. Um, I think just showing that you as a constituent care about this cause can be very important. And as if you want to go further, I definitely think getting involved in organizations can be extremely beneficial. Um, Working with a team, working with others that are passionate about the cause can really help you get plugged in to um, next steps as far as that. Um, and always, um, you know, extending the, you know, reaching out to me. I am very excited for people who want to join, you know, the advocacy world, um, whether it's diabetes, whether it's any other topic that you're passionate about. I think um, it's really important that we as advocates stick together because we're the driving force that really cares about, at the end of the day, what the people want, right? What what do we deserve as constituents, as people living in the U.S., people living um, here, um, we deserve our voices to be heard. And so I think that is very important. I am always open to having a conversation, um, and giving any advice I can. Yeah. I know you're short on time here, Emma Bella. So I have just one more question for you. We are coming to the end of 2023 into a new calendar year. Where's your main focus going? You're obviously somebody who's massively passionate and ambitious with whatever it is that you're doing, particularly around diabetes advocacy and insulin access. Like, What's your focus for 2024? What are you driving towards? That's a great question. I think I've seen a lot of my advocacy now being and living here in DC extend out to other areas. Um, Earlier this year, I was working on some 
patents, um, patent um, uh, policy. And so I think that's a whole other aspect of, yeah, I mean, as you asked earlier, why insulin prices are the way they are, um, a multitude of reasons, right? Mm. Um, patents is another really important piece of that, right? So, and then I also worked on some USPTO with that as well, but also um, the Inflation Reduction Act. That's really exciting um, in negotiating drug prices. So with that being said, I really would like to focus on some other areas and how we can help drive down insulin prices. Um, so in this last year, I saw some more deep dives into that. And so not only do I want to work on that, you know, congressional level and trying to get that passed through aid and helping that get passed so that we get lower prices of insulin on the federal level, but also try to focus on the smaller areas that we don't um, immediately think about when we are trying to lower insulin prices and just get overall healthcare um, more affordable for um, Americans. So mm. I'm seeing that and I'm hoping that I can see that through again through um, this next year. So mm. well, a lot to be focusing on. So it's yeah. uh, an exciting and busy year ahead for you to say the least, Emma Bella. And even from my perspective, if, if there's anything that I can do in terms of advocacy, like through the podcast or socials or whatever that might be, um, I'm sure we'll stay in touch and yes, communicate. We must. It's okay. a great outlet for that. I, Absolutely. I, it's very important. Seriously. And again, I know you need to jump off your, your rush for time. You're a very busy woman, to, to say the least. <laughs> Emma Bella, where can people find out more about you, email you, yes, get in touch absolutely. with you? Absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously my email is always open. So it's just my first and last name at gmail.com. But you can also find me on most social medias, um, just using Emma Bella Rod. Um, but also I have a website that you can also, you know, learn more about my journey and my story and also reach out to me there. So that's emmabellarod.com. Good stuff. I will link all of Emma Bella's stuff below in the description. Please go follow her. See what she's up to. She's 22 years old and she's already done more than most will do in a lifetime. So, oh. so Emma Bella, you're amazing. Appreciate you coming on to the podcast. And I greatly look forward to staying in touch with you in 2024. And best of luck with everything. Genuinely. Thank right. you so much for having me. Of course. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through the podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier and happier within my type 1% better online program. You can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars. And I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.